Hi, everybody. David Knorr. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Curve Benders Live. I'm delighted you're here. Uh, for our audience, we're live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and this is episode 76. Uh, so I've been blessed to do this for the last couple of years uh, around my latest book called Curve Benders. It's also, you can see it back there behind me. So uh, if you don't know anything about me or this uh, book, this is book number 11. And for the last 20 years, I've been a student of business relationships. I'm fascinated by how they work, why they work, why do some work and not others. Uh, just like the neighbor you were really close to in the neighborhood you used to live in, why do we choose to stay in touch with some people and regrettably not others? That's one of my own biggest regrets over the years. This is year 20 of our practice, and I just haven't done a very good job. And this is this is the relationship expert of staying in touch with people. And some of it is bandwidth, some of it is your tech stack, some of it is your processes. Some of it is, I think, the nature of just building and nurturing relationships. Uh, sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships, proactively. So the million dollar question becomes, which ones? And how do you know? And if you can't invest in everybody equally, how do you then prioritize which relationships you choose to invest in and which ones you let them go dormant or you let go let them go by the wayside? I think the last couple of years, if you think about it a second, in the last couple of years, we haven't spent more time with more people. We've actually spent more time with fewer people. And for several years, I've been talking about this idea of I call it the Jerry Maguire business model. So everybody wants more. Everybody wants more customers and more partners and more contacts and a bigger network. And I'm always curious as to why. And this might go in that category of hashtag crazy talk. But what if we focused on fewer, deeper, more meaningful relationships? What if we invested in fewer people, but we really invested in them and get, gave them a chance to get to know us, really get to know us, not who we pretend to be, but who we really are and the things we really care about and our priorities. And so earlier today, I had a 30-minute conversation with an executive I've coached, I've known, I've partnered with, I've worked with for the last 15 years. And in 30 minutes, we were able to exchange kind of priorities, where am I focused on, what I'm doing, and walk away with three action items each that will materially impact and benefit both of us. That relationship is more valuable to me than a whole bunch of contacts on LinkedIn or people that I don't know, and certainly they don't know me. And increasingly what you're seeing, maybe it's out of desperation, maybe it's just amateur hour, but people toss things over the wall or they toss them on a wall just to see what sticks. And I got to tell you, that's a massive, massive turnoff for business professionals because we're all busy and our attention span is getting shorter. Our patience is getting shorter and you're going to lose me at hello if you don't engage, if you don't influence in a meaningful, meaningful way. So in this episode, I want to talk about it. I'm going to launch a new series, and I'm going to share my screen on everybody wants to know. Everybody is asking of, you, you know, when you talk about these 
magical, mystical creatures, uh, you know, you're talking about meeting your curve benders. So how do you do that? How do I meet individuals? And again, just a quick definition, curve benders are relationships that can dramatically, profoundly elevate, that can increase, that can accelerate your journey from now to next, whatever that next version, the next best version of you is, curve benders accelerate your ability to get there. So in chapter uh, yeah, three of the book, uh, I talk about accelerated relevancy. And I start to outline these seven uh, steps, if you will. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to take each step and go deeper into why they're important, what are the best practices, what are the pitfalls I see people fall into, and why some of these ideas really, really matter, particularly in the post-pandemic world. And how will we come out of this global pandemic with hopefully lessons that we've learned and our thinking, our actions, our behaviors that we are going to recalibrate to show up consistently in that best version of ourselves, right? So very quickly, there's seven steps to meeting potential curve benders to your curve benders. Number one is really going to be the focus of this episode, personal foundation. Two is a professional commitment. You got to be really the, the best at what you do. Three, a catalyst, a spark kind of creates that awareness that maybe you're, you're, you're not at your full potential, or if you reach the ceiling, that should lead to four, which is immersive inquiry that really uh, allows you to fans this fire within you, the spark to really go dive and, and deep diver into that topic, into those issues, into maybe those capabilities gap that you've identified in yourself. Five, really is, is your strategic relationships. By the way, that's not about cold calling. That's not about starting something. This is going to relationships you've already nurtured, you've already developed that become a big asset to you. Six is all about agile execution. How do I quickly, with a sense of urgency, execute on the ideas, on the vision, on the direction, on the path? And then seven is connection cadence, coming back to your relationships to kind of updating them on your progress on this journey, because that's when they go from believing you to believing in you. So as I said, over the next several episodes of the Curvebenders Live, uh, and and I'm live, you know, typically every Tuesday at noon Eastern on these different platforms, and then repurpose this also into the Curvebenders podcast. I would encourage you to uh, check that out wherever you consume podcasts. But in the next several episodes, I'm going to take these seven steps. And again, dive deeper into why they matter, some of the best practices, some of the pitfalls. If you care to follow, this is again, the entire chapter three of the Curvebenders book. So we're going to start with really this idea of a, I'm going to stop sharing the screen, this idea of a personal foundation. And what I want you to think about in this personal foundation is your your mindset, your language, your actions, or your behaviors. Your mindset, kind of how you think, 
that typically drives what you say. And I believe language is very much, not only words matter and language is incredibly powerful, but it's manifestation of how you think. And then your actions, your behaviors, everything from what and whom you choose to prioritize to the commitment and seeing that idea, effort, all the way through. And so if you start with how you think, I believe you need today, as well as certainly in the post-pandemic world, you need a growth mindset. And there's been a plethora of things written about it. Do you see learning and growth as a lifelong journey? You need an increasingly a digital mindset, right? Digital, you know, how do you think digitally? How do you engage digitally? Which, by the way, the older you get age-wise, more of a challenge that seems to become because it's always very comfortable to fall back on the way I've always done it, right? No, I'm a paper guy and I like to write on papers. Well, that's great. For years, I carried a notebook. Several years ago, I bought a tablet. And I'm still writing, but it's now on a tablet that I can search and index and, you know, take PDF files of and send screenshots to people. I couldn't do a lot of that with my paper-based system, right? So growth mindset, a digital mindset. And then the third one I believe in is an entrepreneurial mindset. Regardless of what job you're doing, regardless of what logo is on your business card or your email, that entrepreneurial mindset is one that is badly missing in a lot of the corporate worlds, some of the nonprofits that I see, a lot of the educational academia world. And it's critical to not just surviving, but really, as, as demonstrated in the last two years, building our resilience, building our relevance, building our ability to thrive amid chaos. So let me very quickly start with those three. Again, growth mindset. The day you stop learning and growing is the day you become complacent. And I deeply believe the day you become complacent, you're no longer valuable to your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. Beyond your educational foundation of what you know, beyond your professional pedigree of putting that education to work and figuring out how to do things, the portfolio of relationships you identify, build, nurture, become your biggest asset. They become your, I would submit, only sustainable differentiator. So if you want to stay fresh with your relationships, you have to embrace this growth mindset. You have to believe in and develop your confidence, which says, I know a lot, but there's still a lot I can learn. And you have to ensure you never, ever become arrogant, which says, I know a lot and there's nothing new I can learn. There's a salient difference between those and it fundamentally begins with your mindset. I know a lot, but there's a lot more I can learn. That's confidence. I know a lot and there's nothing new I can learn. That is arrogance. Arrogance is dangerous. Arrogance is unattractive. Arrogance is off-putting. Arrogance you're not going to win a lot of people over with that arrogance. And by the way, it shows in how you show up. Again, mindset, I believe 
drives our language, drives our actions, drives our behaviors, right? So growth mindset, you got to up your sense of curiosity. You got to up your sense of um, really questioning and challenging ideas, never attacking individuals. So don't just sit on that call, the next Zoom meeting. Yep, 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 yep. And then afterwards, I knew that was going to fail. That's of little value to you, your team, your organization. I've also long believed a certain dose of healthy, respectful pushback. It's great for relationships. And it goes back to a, a good friend, Molly Chang. I would, I would encourage you to look up Molly and, and her whole world is around say it skillfully because how you say it is far, you know, a lot of times more valuable than, than what you may say or is equally as valuable. So learning how to say things skillfully goes a long way in recognizing, honoring, respecting what was just said or presented or shared with you and yet asking clarifying questions. Hey, I'm just, help me understand. I'm asking to clarify. I'm asking to understand how do you plan to get there? I'm asking, can you help me better understand this risk or that option or this opportunity? That's a growth mindset. Uh, one of my favorite questions of every leader I work with, I coach, how do you learn? How do you learn? And that and I'm asking as much about their mindset as anything, because if it's passive, they'll comment on, well, I read. <laughs> I hope so. Or, you know, I get newsletters or I listen to podcasts. Well, that's great. How about relationships? Are you learning through your relationships? Are you asking better questions from your relationships to learn? Every one of them. Are you up? Another one that I see all the time. I had breakfast uh, this morning with a, an executive in healthcare. And every industry has all these acronym. Healthcare tends to have a lot of those. But every industry does, right? And he rattles off these acronyms. And it'd be very easy to say, well, I don't want to feel dumb, so I'm not going to ask. And I said, I apologize. What is SQR again? And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an abbreviation for this. Okay. And do, does that healthcare professional come to you or you go to them? And is it impatient or do you stay? Being dumb <laughs> is not asking. The intelligent, the wise person says, if I'm ever going to understand where this person's coming from, where this relationship cares about, I'm going to ask some clarifying questions and I'm going to better understand and not just gloss that over, right? And that's got to come from your sense of curiosity. That's got to come from, that's interesting. Tell me more about how that works or tell me why do you believe that works or tell me um, this particular executive you know, changed jobs from when I first met him to his new role. And it was like, that's interesting. How did you find these guys? How did they find you? What made you want to join these guys? And where do you see that business model going? And so that sense of curiosity allows you, really fuels your ability to learn. And that growth mindset has to be all about expanding, enhancing your purview, your understanding of how business models work, revenue models work, application of talent to value creation, if not value enabling, you now become a deep generalist. 
I love specialists, right? Go get me the best person in that kind of manufacturing. Great. In my world, it benefits to be a deep generalist. So you know a lot about a lot of different industry sectors and roles and challenges and opportunities and, you know, the needs of an enterprise versus the needs of the really a hyper growth, let's say a tech startup and everybody in between. And is it a manufacturing or healthcare or distribution or right professional services? And you become a deep generalist, not to have an opinion about every matter, but to genuinely be curious about and appreciation for and relevance with your relationships that may be in a lot of these different sectors. So growth mindset, again, you have to see learning and growing as a lifelong. I, pre-pandemic, would speak 50, 60 times a year. A lot of times I would go early to sit back in the room and listen to other speakers and other presenters. And may he, you know, his, his, his uh, soul, you know, rest in peace, Colin Powell. And you hear General Crystal and you hear Condoleezza Rice and you hear a lot of luminaries, but also thought leaders that you've read their stuff and you appreciate where they're coming from. You hear them speak and they're not doing a book report. They've lived it. They've done a lot of what they're you know experts in and they advocate. And it's just becomes a fascinating opportunity for every you know speaking engagement. I do a ton of due diligence. I talk to board members. I talk to executives. Well, tell me metal building manufacturing What's the biggest challenge? What's the iPad in that space? What's the, you know, what are you guys doing about the talent shortage and consolidation? And right now, supply chain challenge. You learn a ton about a lot of different types of industries. One of my favorite clients is in the refractory business. If you never heard of that, they make the brick bricks that go into these ovens that melt metal, like a pizza oven for metals. You know, candor, I, I didn't know a whole lot about that space before I spoke at their industry association. And the more I learned, the more I was intrigued by this high-end industrial kind of automation world, industrial manufacturing world, right? So that growth mindset becomes a light within you. And I've always believed light of fire within someone, not under them, because under them doesn't last. If I was forced to do something, and we've all been forced to do things it's just not that exciting or that right that 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 sustainable versus a light you know fire within you becomes that fuel becomes that that which propels you forward right so if you start with a growth mindset the second one is digital uh some of you may know i i consistently download a an app a week on my phone some of them complete waste of time like oh god i don't want other ones are fascinating, and they've become a big part of my routine. I, I'm constantly testing new new tools, new ways of doing things. Uh, we're turning, we have a fractional CTO, and we're turning a lot of our own methodologies about what we do and how we do it into tools and platforms that we can introduce our clients to. So you have to increasingly elevate amplify, enhance your digital understanding. Uh, think of how many people and teams and cultures were not a video culture before the pandemic. And we all figured out Zoom and Teams and Skype and, right, we figured out how to make this work. So the more digital 
that your mindset, the more you embrace digital applications, digital tools, digital go-to-market, uh, one of my business partners doesn't print anything. I know, right? She she can digitally sign agreements and she digitally stores her documents and she scans things, takes pictures of them and doesn't doesn't like a whole lot of papers, doesn't certainly print anything. I've got two printers in my office and I kill a lot of trees because I still physically like the feel of paper. Well, increasingly moving to that digital mindset says, what can I learn? How can I lead digitally? How can I better understand? So digital transformation and the clients that I'm working with, believe it or not, most of it is about the cultural transformation. Most of it is about them learning how to do things differently. And that's a digital mindset. So a growth mindset, a digital mindset, both you as an individual, your team, ideally your organization. How do we not just do things better, but how do we optimize? How do we save keystrokes? How do we really, do you have a personal tech stack? That's another good question to ask yourself. And there are several tools that allow you to connect and show a, a map, in essence, of your, uh, we, we use Lucid charts, and it's a good way to create a map of the different technologies you use as an individual, your team may use how you access enterprise applications. That's all an example of your digital mindset. The last one is an entrepreneurial one. And by entrepreneurial, I mean asking questions like, why not? Asking more questions like, I don't see why not. Asking more questions of how can we get there versus, well, we just can't do that. I believe we just can't or no is intellectually lazy because think about it. Anybody can say no. You know, can you do this? No, thanks. No, we, we don't. We can't do that. No, not, not available. Not interested. Can't do that. And you'll see a lot of dinosaur leadership say no. Even if it's not within their purview, even if it's not within their budget. And I've always believed budgets are a priority issue, not a financial issue. I love astute leaders who often ask, that's interesting. How can we get there? Uh, before Elon Musk came, right? For years and years and years, our space program would launch, as you know, rockets and rocket boosters and dump them into the sea. And here comes a guy who, he'll even admit, didn't know a whole lot about rockets and engines and it doesn't have an aerospace engineering background. And it says, what has to happen for us to dramatically reduce the cost of space exploration by reusing the rockets? And there's been interviews with him of, of how close they got to bankruptcy because it just, SpaceX kept failing. But when they figured out how to land those rocket boosters and reuse them, that business has completely taken off in a big, big way. So the entrepreneurial approach is I see a problem, I see a market need, I don't see a solution for it, I don't see a affordable solution, a viable solution, a readily available solution, 
and I'm going to go figure out a potential answer. I may be completely wrong, but I'm willing to go bet my time, my effort, my resources, my relationships on figuring out a way. And you don't have to work for a startup to have that mindset. Now, what you do have to understand is that organizations go through a, a maturity model. Organizations go through different life cycles. And the younger, the smaller, the more nimble, the more agile it is, it's a lot easier to think creatively. Think why not? Think as the organization matures, as they figure out this perfect execution box, now that entrepreneurial DNA becomes what I jokingly call my chief compliance, chief legal, chief risk officer friends. I call them oncologists because their job is to identify those ideas. They see them as cancer, dig it out and kill it because it threatens that perfect execution box. It threatens that maturity of and consistency and process and 18 levels of signatures to get anything done. And it becomes increasingly more difficult. A trend I'm really excited about. If you haven't had a chance to look into it, it's, it's really entrepreneurship within an organization. So intrapreneurship or these micro enterprises. So imagine a group of seven, eight, 10, 12 people that have a common mission. They have a common vision. They have a common enemy like regulation. They want to really get closer to the customers and the needs of those customers. And they build a micro enterprise, hire the Chinese uh, appliance company that also happens to own G Appliances has built this as their business model of these micro enterprises. Zappos has done this. And as well as several other organizations have started to embrace, think of mini PLs, think of these micro enterprises, think of shared services like IT, legal, HR, finance, competing for the 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 business of those micro enterprises, as well as going outside the organization and competing for work. So I'm re it's, it's very much in its nascent stages, but I'm really excited about that idea of micro enterprises because they bring that entrepreneurial mindset to large enterprises, to large organizations. So if you start with those three mindsets, again, growth, digital, and entrepreneurial, you'll begin to really start thinking about, and, and the next thing I want you to think about is this idea of an ecosystem. And if you think about an ecosystem, it has thinkers, it has explorers, it has experimenters. You want to take the economic landscape with its limited resources and think about who are the thinkers, the explorers, and the experimenters in that space? So give me any industry, manufacturing, construction, pharmaceutical, uh, entertainment, right? There are some giants. There are some massive, massive organizations that are the 800-pound players in that space, right? I'm always curious. Who are the explorers? Who are thinking about? The evolution of that space. Who is testing new ideas? Where are they? 
I'm genuinely curious about. If I want to either get into a space or I want to work with a space, I'm going to go find those people first. I'm going to go find basically macro to micro issues, infrastructure challenges, people or teams that can't connect the dots. That's where I think the best learning, the most interesting experiments, the most interesting people a lot of times are. Uh, in the past, we used to call them the R&D department, the R&D lab. I believe R&D, just like quality, right, should be integrated in very broad parts of the organization. And when you do that, you're going to go find people that, again, have learned how to test ideas, how to fail and learn through that experimentation. And that learning becomes invaluable. So if you're, I, I can see applications of this in going after a new job or new industry. I can see applications of this in launching a new product or service. I can see applications of this with any and every new partnership. I can see applications of this with mergers of, of companies or divestiture where they go and become standalones. Every one of these scenarios, if you bring the growth, the digital and entrepreneurial mindset, you can find ecosystems of thinkers, uh, explorers, and experimenters. And what happens is that mindset, that focus, that commitment to that personal foundation opens up really interesting conversations really interesting opportunities, really interesting dialogue. By the way, I've always said great relationships come from great conversations. Great conversations come from great questions. So I, I just don't think we make enough time to think. I'm not convinced we make enough time to prep. I'm certainly not convinced, and I certainly haven't seen it in terms of my own observations people asking really tough questions, not got you. This isn't Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes, right? Where were you on the night of October 12th? I'm talking about asking questions that make people think. I'm talking about asking questions that helps them evaluate their options, uh, pros and cons of each. That's interesting. Tell me more. How did you get there? How did you think about that? You do that when you do that, you really um, start to identify key players in those ecosystems that fuel your curiosity, that fuel your learning, that are like minded digital thinkers, that are like minded entrepreneurial thinkers. And I don't know about you, I get a lot of energy from interacting with other people. Give me an intelligent, engaging person. I could talk to them. I could hang with them all day long. Give me shallow. Give me small talk. Give me not a lot of depth there in the conversation. And it'll be a pretty short conversation. I'll be polite and I'll cordial. And But I, I think most people will get bored with small talk. I mean, how, how much more can we talk about the weather and you know politics and the pandemic and Right At some point, you want to get to a, a really interesting conversation. The way I know how to do that is ask, hopefully, better questions. 
ask more engaging questions. And so that's that's really my key point. And again, if you care, uh, this is page 94 of the Curve Benders book where I'm talking about the seven steps to your Curve Benders. Uh, and again, it starts with this idea of a personal foundation, this non-linear uh, mindset, digital entrepreneurial uh, growth to fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your connections. That's the really point of this first step, which is your personal foundation. Uh, let me uh, wrap up this session with just a reminder of linear versus nonlinear. Linear growth is the truck ramp, 45 degree, learn, 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 maybe at some point in the future, apply it. I want you to think of your undergraduate experience. My kids are, one is already in second year of, of college. The other one is entering freshman year in college and they're taking differential calculus. And my daughter's taking organic chemistry. And I, I, I think of my own calculus classes and as an adult and certainly what I do for a living, I haven't had a chance or reason to revisit differential calculus for a while. And I'm not taking anything away from that undergraduate, that foundational education is critical. We've worked hard to get our kids to where they are. And I deeply, and, and by the way, you know, skipping college wasn't an option for our family. We talked about it. They both knew very early on that education is something no one can take away from you. But certainly college is not the only way to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm also increasingly becoming a huge fan of the trades and the need in that space. And Mike Rowe is a big advocate of that. What I'm proposing, what I'm a big proponent of is as adult learners, as professional learners, and as dynamic as our market is all around us, I don't believe in the post-pandemic world, linear growth will suffice. So then what's the answer? What I believe in is what I call non-linear growth. I don't need a four-year degree from MIT because I'm trying to solve a, a problem. What I like to do is learn how to code. And I can learn the basics. I can learn the foundation of coding, A, for free, B, in about 30 to maybe 60, maybe 90 days. So I, I'm, I'm doing this for clients. I'm immersed in several of them myself, which what I call learning sprints. I'm going to come up with a problem. I'm going to learn as much as I can about solving that problem as quickly as possible, including leveraging relationships. I don't have to go figure out that manufacturing. I don't have to go overnight become a battery expert. I can make three phone calls and ask those relationships. Here's something I'm thinking of. What do you think? What am I not thinking? What questions am I not asking? So nonlinear growth, find a problem. Immerse yourself as quickly as you can in solving that problem, including your relationships, through this growth mindset, digital mindset, entrepreneurial, through your curiosity, your creativity, and your connections. And when you do that, you quickly learn something, you apply it, you solve that problem, you go on to the next problem. And what happens is now you get the hockey stick. You get the rocket launch. 
not the truck ramp. And as I said, I had a, one of my favorite professors, uh, Ben Kaczynski at Emory University grad school. One of Ben's favorite uh, phrases was, hear me now, believe me later. And 20 years later, I absolutely believe a lot of what he shared with us back then. And this is one of those, hear me now, believe me later. As dynamic as our market is, as continued pull, demand of us, turbulence in our lives, challenges and opportunities, that linear growth is going to continue to become even more challenging for more adults, for more professionals. So the sooner you embrace this idea of nonlinear growth, the sooner I think you'll not only solve challenges, but also make decisions, decision velocity. I think it will improve your communication. Listen, we don't want to boil the ocean. Let's boil a cup of water. How do we go solve this problem? Then you solve the next problem. It's one of my favorite lines from the movie Martian with uh, Matt Damon. At the end of it, he's being asked, were you afraid of dying in space? Yep. And he says, but you know what? I'm a scientist. And the scientific method is you solve one problem, then you solve the next one, and then you solve the next one. That is nonlinear growth. And the sooner we embrace that as individuals, as teams, as leaders, as organizations, I believe it will not only keep us relevant, but it will help accelerate and improve our communication, our problem solving, our decision making, and the growth of individuals, teams, and organizations. So I hope this has been of interest and value to you. Again, this if you joined us late, this episode is a, a kickoff of a series around the seven steps to meeting potential curve benders. It is chapter three of my uh, most recent book called Curve Benders. Uh, available at norgroup.com slash store, Amazon, or wherever else you buy your books. This is what it looks like. Uh, Curve Benders is the title of the book, How Strategic Relationships Can Power Your Nonlinear Growth in the Future of Work. Uh, I'm live every Tuesday at uh, noon Eastern. I hope you'll come join us on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Otherwise, I'll repurpose these as podcasts and you can uh, listen to the Curve Benders podcast wherever you consume podcasts. Two other quick reminders. Uh, right before this session at 11 o'clock Eastern every Tuesday, my business partner Jen Cords and I host the Rev Up uh, podcast. That's R-E-V colon U-P for up. It's all about accelerating your growth through your processes, your capabilities, your technology stack. And we talk about uh, marketing technology or MarTech, sales technology, sales tech, uh, customer success tech, the overarching revenue operations space that's emerging that we think is relevant to every growth-oriented organization. And then later today at 3 o'clock Eastern, my other business partner, Michelle Konetsky, is launching product.growth. It's around product marketing. It's around your go-to-market strategy aligned with your go-to-market execution. Michelle spent 18 years, uh, 20 almost years at Dell Technologies, and she's got some brilliant ideas and guests. So I hope you make time. Again, we'll be live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. Hope you'll join us or look for, look out for product growth 
podcast, wherever you consume podcasts. On behalf of our team, thanks for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.